Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host, who knows that if something's wrong, he's always going to take action, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm close, Andy. I'm close to finding the podcast gold. I've been listening to our earlier episodes, and I've noticed that there are certain phrases, certain words that just keep coming up over and over again. And I realized subconsciously, you and I are picking up on clues that will lead us to the Once Upon a Disney podcast treasure. We are. I've noticed that the phrase, rabbit is a saint, has come up in several of our Winnie the Pooh episodes. So I've done Indeed. some I've done some research and that clearly is a reference to the Beverly Messenger Rabbit which exists in a historic East Yorkshire church. So I am as soon as we're done with this episode I am blind to East Yorkshire. The race is on Andy. The, I'm the secret find it. The secret lies with Rabbit. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's the <laughs> well, first <what> movie? clue. <laughs> What movie are we doing today, Larry? (laughs) The movie we're doing today is National Treasure uh, from 2004. Yeah, well, let's get some key facts to get this going. So this family heist film was a blockbuster, uh, $350 at the box office. So not too shabby. Yeah, real treasure was the movie (laughs) we made along the way, is what I'm hearing. That's what I'm... (laughs) Wow. Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, so it launches the National Treasure franchise. There's two features. There's a book series, serves as a prequel. There's a television series, all focusing on the Gates family, a group of treasure hunters whose escapades are based in American history. Okay. So Roger Ebert, who we go to a lot on this program, rightly or wrongly, ripped this movie apart. Uh, He compared this movie to The Da Vinci Code, saying that the plot was so similar to the plot of Dan Brown's book that the filmmakers were either the only people in the entertainment industry who had never heard of it, or they ripped it off, which I think is strong. That is strong. And I don't don't think that that's fair. Because, like, like, I will agree with him Mm -hmm. that the timing of this, as the kids say, is sus. Very clearly, (laughs) very clearly, this movie is coming out out now because the da vinci code is such a big movie big right. book and and movie franchise but but i mean you know we saw candleshoe candleshoe had the plot of there's this girl oh, she yeah. goes to the manor there's the clues to find the pirate's treasure this is it that this isn't a rip off of candleshoe no. it's it's a it's a it's a plot it's a it's a treasure hunt movie i th- yeah i think that's just strong. really it's big but it's big and epic and you know and ebert always loved nicholas cage and he really mm-hmm. claimed that he was the ideal for, uh, casting for this caper because he, quote, has the ability to seem uncontrollably enthusiastic about almost anything. <laughs> I, you know what? That's a thing Nicolas Cage and I have in common. <laughs> in the Venn diagram of the two of us, that comment has been made about me more than once. Uncontrollable enthusiasm. Agreed. I mean, right? Tell right. me I'm You're- wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. Okay. So Mark Hoffmeyer at Rotten Tomatoes suggests the reason people love this movie is that it is really for the whole family. Uh, It is a true four quadrant film that brings in the 18 to 24 crowd, which was the coveted audience in 2004, maybe even today. Plus it's dorky and it doesn't pretend not to be dorky. 
The okay. villain, Sean B- Bean, lives, right? He never lives in a movie. But he lives in this one. <laughs> he lives in this one. And there's a void of thriller movies after the Indiana Jones Spectaculars. And, you know, and also Star Wars is kind of on a, it's it's not yeah, doing yeah, yeah. so hot. The prequels are over. Yeah, exactly. And National Treasure sort of fills this void. Does it fill the void or does it, is it as good as we get? Does it band-aid over the void? I mean, I remember going to see this with my sons who thought, who were probably tweens at the time, who absolutely loved it, wanted to see it again. We bought okay. the DVD, we watched it again and again. They loved it. And I think they loved the epic, I mean, this is Jerry Bruckheimer, right? They they, oh, sure. they love the epicness of it, so... It does It does have that feel to it. It's just, right. you know, it's hard for me to imagine it on the same level as Indiana Jones, but maybe that's just my own private prejudices there. And it was something new. I think their favorite part of this movie, as I recall, was Riley. Because oh, that Riley's dork- great. Oh, yeah. The dorky randomness in there. Because oh, I think my they, favorite. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to the National Archives in Washington, D.C., the guard will stop you in the line and let you and other visitors know that there is no map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So don't even ask. Yeah, but when you say something like that, you raise more <laughs> questions than you answer. Why that does he feel is... compelled to do that, Andy? What is he hiding? Goes well, all the way I, to the top. I suggested to my daughter when she was young that he says that because people ask him that question, probably. 5,000 times a day. Oh, and for she sure. said, and she said, I think he's a little sus. <laughs> so she's, she's, she's team Larry on this one. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's begin discussing national treasure with, uh, the Manish Tana and the Manish Tana of a movie. Uh, generally speaking, we talk about how the movie opens and why this moment is the moment that we choose to begin with our characters. And so we have a moment of a young character who will one day grow up to be Nicolas Cage, uh, goes up to the attic of his house, is poking his nose where it doesn't belong, and his grandfather starts to tell him the family story about finding the lost national treasure. And we actually flash back to a bit of the Revolutionary War and the story of this treasure, and the son hears it. We see in the shadows, but his face is kind of hidden from view. Uh, The father, who is dismissive of this story, but we can see that our, our young character, young Benjamin Franklin Gates, hearing this story is super important to him. And something that will he will remember for the rest of his life. Well, not only will he remember it, but it's going to guide him to his life's work, right? Um, so, yeah, yes. So is so, Andy. Why do we begin our story here? Well, it's an expositional prologue, right? Very expositional, and it establishes a few key points that there's family conflict around this very fanciful story, or is it fanciful? There's a hero's call. Grandpa passes the baton to grandson and skips dad. That's interesting because dad doesn't want it. Uh, And there's a built-in analogy. So grandpa entrusts this information to Ben 
in much the same way that Charles Carroll entrusts the information to Thomas Gates, their forebearer. And I found that kind of, I found that interesting. It reminds me very much of the beginning of Treasure Planet, which was just a couple of years before this movie, where we see, you know, you know, the young, um, whatever the main character's name is in Treasure Planet, hearing, yeah, thank you. Uh, Jim Hawkins here and hearing the story of how the how the gold was stolen and Captain Flint and all of that stuff. It's got a very similar thing there. And I'll say, I think I have a similar critique to this. Okay. Which is I understand we need this information. We need this exposition. We need to know that there's gold. What I don't really get is what the reason is for telling him this story particularly today. Today appears to be the day he went up to the attic snooping around. I just feel like you want to make a little bit more of a meal. Like if this was the day grandpa was leaving and it was the last time he was going to see grandpa because Mm -hmm. grandpa was going out to find the national treasure. Like it just ratchets up the emotional resonance of this scene a little bit more. This feels like as in, as in Treasure Planet, it's the same critique that I have there. It's the day he heard the story, but in no other way is it a special day. Is that fair? Well, it's a clarion call, right? I mean, it is a, a moment where um, Grandpa says you're old enough. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You could make more of a meal of that. Um, Especially since it's kind of like we're, gonna, we're about to jump forward to the future. We're mm-hmm. in the past now. And we're going to flash back further into the past from right. the past that we're in. I, the other, the other alternative, the other thing we could do just to examine the screenwriting of this is instead of telling the story of young Benjamin Franklin hearing it, uh, Benjamin Franklin Gates could narrate it, and we could just live in the Revolutionary War story, right? We could just see all of that firsthand rather than a scene to a scene. Like we could just live in that early moment. Except you don't connect, I think, with the young viewer. If, if That's one thing I think you would lose, because I think sure. that if it were just adults in this movie, a young viewer might feel like they weren't, um, that they were a little too removed for it, from it. So there's a moment where the, the, the little boy says, ben, Benjamin Franklin, young Benjamin Franklin says, you know, Grandpa, are we knights? And he right. says, do you want it? Do you want to be right? Yeah, and so it's there's a cute this little moment. It's a it's a great moment. But what it does is it establishes, I think, for the viewer who is, you know, nine to twelve, this story's for you. Do you want to be a knight? Right. So it's sort of a, a it sort of sits in the subconscious maybe a little bit. But it, it's not it's not Indiana Jones where, you know, this is a somebody who th- this is somebody you could be. You could have this kind of calling as well. So, although it makes it a little we, more accessible, I think. Moving into the plot, there are no more children in the rest no. of this story. No. Um, so we flash forward. I imagine twenty years. I don't. I don't remember catching the exact year. They probably told me we're in what appears to be the Arctic. It's frozen. It's snowy. There are characters. They're they're looking around. They're looking for treasure. There are clues. They find a ship on that ship. They Then they unearth the ship. Then they find more clues. They find more riddles. They're trying to find something there. They're looking for the treasure. 
Mm-hmm. In the tr- then they find this ivory carved pipe that that also has inside of it a cipher. Our main character knows to put blood on the cipher to roll it out to get another clue. And and this is we get the sense that this is the we join our treasure hunt already in progress. And that's and we know we learn something from that blood moment. We learn that that Benjamin Franklin Gates is willing to bleed for this story. He's willing to sacrifice for it. It's just a, it's a little thing, but I think it uh, it tells us that he's willing to he's willing to do some. I mean, that's kind of weird, right? Cut yourself for the ink, right? I, I have to imagine they have something else they could have used, but he's so impatient. There's no time to find a pen and break open the pen for the ink. He's just right. going to cut himself. He's that right. eager for it. I, I could go with that. Yeah. But I, I do want to say what's interesting here is we start our quest already in progress. Yes. Right? Like this is like if we were doing The Wizard of Oz, we're at Dorothy meeting the Tin Man. Uh, and like previously on, he's already found the scarecrow. Uh, he's 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 already got his compass sorted towards what he's what he's looking for on his goal. Right. And so, in a way, it's a little difficult to pinpoint what the inciting incident is. You could say the inciting incident is that moment all the way back twenty years ago when when he swore to become a knight and find this treasure. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't have the immediacy of our story right now. That, that's exposition. Right. That's not the inciting incident. So this movie casts about for a different inciting incident. I'm wondering if what, what you think the inciting incident is. Well, I have two. <laughs> and I have it. the same, I have the same issues that you had and, and that, uh, that choice to start it in the middle makes it kind of tricky. Um, when, Ben decides not to go along with Ian in stealing the declaration declaration of independence. That, that feels like an inciting incident to me somewhat, but he gets away from him. And, but that still seems like exposition. Yes. In a way. I think the moment when Ben says, I'm going to steal the declaration of independence, it's like the only thing that I could possibly do. Because he loves the document and no one else will listen to him. That feels like the inciting incident for me. Because if he doesn't make the decision to do that, we have no movie. And that, that I think, is correct. He is not committing at this particular point to finding the treasure. He's committing to protecting the Declaration of Independence, which Mm -hmm. is a new goal for him. Right. Right. His old goal was finding the treasure. It may be his future goal, Mm -hmm. but the thing that's changed, the reason that we're joining our story in progress here is this is the division of a, of a partnership towards finding, towards finding the treasure and his priorities have shifted. There is something more important than finding the treasure. And that is protecting the declaration of independence. Right. Although, I have to point this out. If he had just gone along with stealing the Declaration of Independence, the movie would go exactly the same. He says, under no circumstances can I steal the Declaration of Independence. And then he says, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Right. So so it's it's, it's sort of like, I could never kill that guy. But you know what? 
uh, to save the world, I'm going to kill that guy. It's Interesting. it's he it's it's weird. It's weird. It's getting us on board for a heist and being on his side for that heist because obviously stealing the Declaration of Independence is bad. Yeah, we have to make that that theft noble. Yes. Right. And they go through they go through great pains to show he has to do it. He's told everybody that this crime is going to happen mm-hmm. to, to ratchet up security and nobody believes him place to place to place to place. So there's no one to do it for but him. But mm-hmm. I will point out, Andy, there are two things that he has not considered. <laughs> I just I have to I have to hit this. Sure. N- number one. He could just try to steal the Declaration of Independence and get caught. And then they would know that people were trying to steal the Declaration of Independence and increase the security. Uh That's number one. But number two, he could say, listen, let's see if these other guys can steal the Declaration of Independence. Maybe they'll just get caught. And I'll like tip off the security at the moment where they're about to steal it. I'll like hit the fire alarm. I'll do something. I'll throw a wrench in wrench in the mm-hmm. works, and they'll get caught. That of course we have no movie if he does right. either I of mean, those that, things. That's right. And there is a moment where he's gone to Doctor Chase's office. He's gone to the FBI. He's gone to all these people, and he says somebody's going to steal this. I wish we had seen him go to the FBI. I wish we had instead of just hearing them talk about it. Um, but he talks about doing this and no one believes him. Everybody thinks he's a, he's a crank. Right. And that, that also falls into dad's uh, argument that this is bunk. Like all this Gates family lore is just, you know, it's garbage. And so nobody truly believes him. Um, the only person that really believes him is Ian because Ian's actually put money the villain because he's actually him and money. Riley. Riley yeah. is the other yeah. one. Riley. Yeah. Riley is the Samwise Ganges to his Frodo, who just there you go. Yes, unconditionally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I have more to say about this, but we'll get to it when we get to character. Sure. Going through the plot, uh, the plot basically takes two two phases. In the first half of the rising action, it is about stealing the Declaration of Independence. It's the heist. Uh, mm-hmm. Along the way, he meets Dr. Abigail Chase, who seems to be in charge of the National Archives. Um, you know, there's some flirty flirt there and what have you. But it's really about the heist. Once the heist is resolved, then it's the race to the treasure map, right? Mm-hmm. It's the race to find the treasure, the solving the clues. Uh, are we going to find the treasure? And there are a lot of details there. And Along the way, we get a lot of explanation about solving the riddles, but right. it's not really plot so much as it is you're you're watching you're watching a series of very quickly delivered mini lectures about American history, right? Um, and they they go by so fast I can't follow them, and I'm reasonably I'm a reasonably intelligent guy, Andy. I I, I know my American history, but but. You know, that that essentially is the plot leading to, in theory, a climax. Mm-hmm. And this was the part where I texted you and I said, Andy, what is the climax to this movie? Traditionally, uh, the climax is the moment of greatest tension. Mm-hmm. It is the place where the forces of good 
fight the force, confront the forces of evil. Mm-hmm. It is it is the thing that we've been waiting to see this whole movie. Andy, am I wrong in having a hard time finding the climax of this movie? I mean, I think you might be. <laughs> people love it when I'm wrong. Well, I mean, that is ben, people's thing. Ben, you, you know, Ben has that meerschaum pipe, right? Uh, Ian is after him. They're at the uh, church there on Wall Street, uh, which, by the way, there is a church there on Wall Street. Yes. Um, yeah. And they use this, you know, it's it's who's going to get there, who's going to get there, right? They kind of thwart Ian. They use the pipe as a key, and that key unlocks the underground chamber containing the treasure. Um, and, of course, then Ian is... is um, picked up he's kind of thwarted and and then picked up by the uh by the authorities who they tip off um but my problem is our heroes don't defeat our villains the fbi does like our heroes make a phone call the fbi Mm -hmm. are the real heroes who arrest our villains i see there is no there is no moment where benjamin franklin and Ian Howe are face-to-face holding the Declaration of Independence. And it's it's like it, that scene where your hero confronts your villain and defeats your villain is, I think, for most movies, a necessary component. And as I say this, the immediate thing that comes in, into my mind is Indiana Jones and Raiders uh-huh. of the Lost Ark. Uh-huh. But in Indiana Jones and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones could win, but yeah. he is convinced by the villain that what is more important is the arc is placed through history, and right. therefore he surrenders and is present for the defeat of the Nazis by uh, by the forces inside the arc. Well, and when when Ian is picked up at the wrong place that he sends him to, right? He is picked up by the by the FBI. Like when Ian looks up, Ben's there. Like. Ben, you know, it's, it's similar. It's, I, I think that's a pretty good analogy with Indiana Jones. Cause I think that's a similar, I think it's written similarly, actually. I just want when he gets into the treasure room and he's finally found the national treasure for there to actually still be stakes in the movie at that moment. Ah, okay. Yeah. We've fair gotten enough. there, but there are no more traps in that mm-hmm. room, we could have right. that moment where they accidentally set off a series of traps, and they have to they have to figure out which item is the real treasure there. And there's all this gold, and the thing that he saves is uh, George Washington's journal, or, right. or something along those lines. My, like, my biggest problem with this movie is in that treasure chamber, because <laughs> anybody would know that if you had a treasure chamber that was that incredible. Would you really use fire to like, set, would you set things on fire to light it all up? I don't think you would, but I, I mean, know. from a, from a, you know, historiographer's <laughs> it's more perspective, dramatic, but from yeah. an antiquarian's <laughs> perspective, I imagine they're, why aren't they all wearing gloves this whole movie? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, oh. I mean, there, there is for sure that. Yeah. I'm just saying the climax for me is unsatisfying. And it's unsatisfying because I don't get a... Co- the movie doesn't end with a bang. It ends with a gradual let's walk out of the treasure. The treasure. Mm-hmm. Like, it just... It doesn't end at a high stakes moment. The stakes right. are... The climax is where your stakes should be the highest. 
Right. And the stakes were higher, were life and death before they got into this room. And the villain leaves the movie. The villain just like, I'll be back well, later. Maybe. But I don't think the answer, I think the question, the dramatic question for this, I, I agree with you. But I also think that the filmmakers think that the dramatic question of this movie isn't, will he defeat Ian? The question is, will he ever find treasure and reunite his family? Because that's, uh, will his dad ever believe him? I think those are, the family conflict seems more immediate to them, maybe, than whether or not he defeats Ian or not. And, and maybe this is me, and, and, and my whole family feels this way. For us, the stakes were with the preservation of the Declaration of Independence, uh-huh. The places where we were holding our breath was when the van was about to run over the Declaration of Independence and it might mm-hmm. get ruined. When, right. when the Declaration falls into like the bad guy we, guy's hand, but we get it gets revealed that's not actually mm-hmm. it. Like like every time he touched the Declaration of Independence, I'm like, you are transgressing on sacred ground here. Yes, agree. And and for me, what I would want, and I think this is the thing that, that the last scene should be. There's a big explosion in the treasure room. He can save something. There is all of this treasure that he spent his whole life looking Uh, for. And there's the Declaration of Independence, which will surely burn if he doesn't rescue it. And at the end of the day, he realizes that of these two things, this mountain of gold and this piece of paper signed by the Founding Fathers, that the Declaration itself is worth more than everything else in that room and he saves it and and andy we should in post have like you know the national anthem playing behind my speech just there <laughs> we should i mean i have yes. tears in my eyes right now i i From get that sea to shining, shining sea. sea absolutely yeah but i think because, i'm right i think that's how it should end yeah I, I i again i think the national treasure that they are looking at is really this redemptive relationship between dad and son and that this family has been redeemed yeah. i think yours is stronger but i think that's where they're going with this i i think mine is right i but but Spoiler, I always think I'm right. <laughs> so it is, is, that, is it that is really a spoiler at this point. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people are thinking I'm going to have a redemptive arc by the time our series is over. Maybe in our last episode, I go, I realize I know nothing. But <laughs> or, we're still on the journey. You know, we're still on the journey. Al has redeeming qualities. Okay. Yes. So Let's then get. we get some falling action. About uh-huh. stuff I do not care about. Mm-hmm. I do not care if Ben Franklin and Abigail Chase get together, but they're yeah. together. Hooray. And I don't care that Riley has a new car. And and I don't care how much money they made finding the treasure. And, okay, you know, so I think over. That, I think that the falling action actually cheapens this movie. Cool. Why? <clears throat> well, because it's not about securing things that are priceless. It's about being rewarded for your, for your efforts. And this is, this is beyond capitalism. I mean, this is the declaration of independence is sacred. It's like, you know, I mean, really it's, it's sort of like a, a religious document or something with that kind of gravitas. Right. And so why would you take something 
but that's not that's not that they really it's the treasure that they get the the one percent of or whatever which also seems kind of gross because you've got books from alexandria and you have you know it just it just feels kind of gross yeah like like barely compensated for their time yes a mansion and a fancy pants car because what message does that give to children I really thought the treasure should not be literal treasure, that it should be wisdom. Um, oh, that it should be some insight that changes our understanding of the human condition or the American experiment uh, that, that leaves us with something with something profound. But if at the end of the day, what they found is stuff that's worth money, that's not changing our lives and it's not changing our identity as, as United States, North Americans. It's just there are some museums that have some new pieces. and. You know, yeah. was it worth going on the journey for them? I, I, I guess, I guess Maybe. it was. Maybe. I mean, people died, so so. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So uh, that's yeah. That's, that's my, the plot. That's the plot. I like this movie. The like I said, the falling action is a little. I I like Sad this movie. I I don't dislike this movie. I mean, we've done some stinkers this season. Um, <laughs> I think this is a good first heist movie. I'm with yes. you. Yes, agree, agree. And I think for my boys who are now adults, um, this was their first, you know, real heist movie where the stakes were exciting. I think we watched this movie and then we watched Indiana Jones. I think I don't think I'd introduced oh, wow. Indiana. I don't oh, think I can introduce them in that order. Yeah, so that was um, that was exciting for them too. Let's right, let's get the characters. Yeah, this is what uh, I've been waiting for. So Benjamin Franklin Gates or Paul Brown, alias Paul Brown, played by Nicolas Cage. Uh, also, Hunter Gomez is young Ben. What do you think? I have some thoughts, but I'm wondering okay, what your number thoughts one. Are. If my parents named me Benjamin Franklin, I would also go by Paul Brown. Um, and I apologize if we have any listeners named after Revolutionary War war characters, uh, um, but I suspect it was a source of teasing in your childhood that you had to deal with. Uh, we're we're I, sorry. I, people are cruel. People are cruel. Um, but but I will say I have look. I'm I'm fine with Nicolas Cage. I know there are people who are like I hate Nicolas Cage. I don't. I I find him charming in a lot of roles. And no, I me too. Even, I even like him in this. Mm-hmm. I have the same issue I have with with James Bond, this character. Okay. Which is, our character actually is not really called upon to grow or change. Right. Uh, he is convinced of his rightness from the beginning. His rightness about what he's doing is never really challenged. There's no real situation that happens that ever phases him. Right. It's like when he has to de- when he has to steal the Declaration of Independence, he says it so casually. It's like, this is what I do on Tuesdays is That's I plan right. a heist. This, there, I never really get a sense that this character is concerned he won't survive the events of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he's had adventures before and he'll have adventures again. And I feel that way about James Bond. That James Bond, when he's in a movie, there's a part of him that's like, I wonder what I'll be doing next year. Will I be in Moscow? Um, you know, like, he, like, <laughs> the, like it's just it's just Tuesday for these dudes. Is that is that fair? 
I think How it did you is. Feel about I, it? I think it's fair. I, and I think there are superhero tropes at play here too. You know, like there's not, I mean, with the exception of maybe Batman and Spider-Man, most of your superheroes. exceptions. Yeah. Both of your, your superheroes are always going to be superheroes. They're not going to wrestle or they're always going to come save the day. Right. And probably superheroes pre- 2000s pre 2000s i think i think that's a much fairer assessment that we don't want to see complicated versions of these characters we just want to see them doing what they're doing right right so i I think that he is he always has the right answer um he has he has a uh a velma i mean like like he decides to steal the declaration he loves the document no one else will listen to him Only he can do this work, right? And there's this sort of Velma in Scooby-Doo kind of thing where he knows about gunpowder and riddles. And there's no real wrestling with any of the new obstacles that are constantly introduced. Like, he knows what they are. Um, He never wrestles to know what the riddles are. He even tells Ian in the beginning, like, you need me because I know these secrets. He solves them almost effortlessly. Yes, yes. I will say, you know, using your superhero analogy, he is a superhero with a profoundly boring non-visual power, which is the power to solve riddles by talking them aloud. Right. And that is not a particularly cinematic thing to have these little mini lectures throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. You, you, you just fall asleep during them. And that is not an acting problem. Or- that's a That's... No one, no one could make that come alive. Or you're my sons and you sit there and you say, pause it. And you, you know, write down your thoughts about what did he just say about that? We need to go look that up. <laughs> okay. That is the minority experience. I am. I'm confident it is. But yes, yes. that's like one of my you know, favorite memories but, of my But son. I do. I like solving a good riddle. I'm a sure. D&D guy from, from day one. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying as. I want to see things. I want the puzzles to be visual. I want, mm-hmm. I want, I want spectacle. And I don't necessarily want people going like playing with anagrams and like, well, like I think about the, yeah, I think about the Goonies. I think about those, you know, those riddles were, um, were physical things right. that you could touch deal with. Uh, Indiana Jones, right. He's got things coming after him. The big ball that sort of thing. Like, right. right. So it's, vi- yes. it's all visual. So there, and conceivably, there could be a lot of visual things here. We do get some of that with the, you know, the blood on the thing. But, but again, it's, it's he's got, he's got to be able, he's riddle. got to be able to make a, a wrong choice. And it doesn't ever seem like his riddles could be wrong. His answers, his answers could, be, could wrong. be wrong or anything. There's one point right. where Riley beats him to it. Yes. But midway through explaining it, the other characters like don't let him finish. And they're like, oh, we, I see where you're going here. And they take over the exposition right. that, that Riley was about to deliver. Which it's, is super funny, but yes. Yes. But again, it is just, there, there are just a lot of information dumps in this movie. And, and unfortunately, I think Ben t- Franklin has the most of them. I think in 2004, we were all okay with this because of those superhero tropes. I think today we've evolved where superheroes have to have an Achilles heel. They have to have things that where things could go wrong. They have to be powerless sometimes. Um, they have to be characters and not, yeah, and not, yeah, and not, not gods, just tropes, essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, what about Ian Howe? 
What do we think about him as a villain? My wife said something that, like, when she said it, I'm like, I don't know why I didn't see it. But the fact that he's British and he wants the treasure, you can do something with the idea of that the, the, the Revolutionary War was, like, all about, like, Americans fighting the British, and that once again, the British are trying to get a hold mm-hmm. of treasure that rightly belongs to the United States. And I think, I think that's the intention here. And it's very subtle, but, but I, w- I would love to make more of that. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's really good. I yeah. mean, that's, there I are lots I could of claim it as my own, but I'm yeah. sorry. That good, was hard. Good job. Good job, Betsy. Um, that's a really fun take on this. Um, I thought he was an entirely reasonable villain. Um, <laughs> I mean, he even says to Nicolas Cage, we could steal the declaration. I have a way of stealing the declaration of independence. And Nick, Nick Cage says, we're not doing it. We're not stealing it. And he says, look, we'll borrow it. We'll give it back when we're done. And he's like, absolutely. Like, like he really tries to negotiate with Nick Cage in good, good faith. And Nick Cage says, no one should ever steal the Declaration of Independence, even if you're going to give it back. It's wrong to do that. Now, 15 minutes later, Nick Cage is going to come to the conclusion he needs to steal the Declaration of Independence and then give it back. So what's the high horse here? Yeah. But but Mm. I guess I I mean, I guess the idea here is uh, what separates Ian from Ben is that Ian is willing to see people die to find the treasure and that Ben cares about people's lives more. I yeah. Guess. He well, he can't. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there. There's definitely, I think, I think when they were writing this, they saw them as sort of a foils for each other. Right. I kind of, at the end of the day though, there have to be better ways of making money. What are the state? Ian clearly has, tons of money so he's been able to fund all of these expeditions so but the why ultimate, does he... he wants the ultimate treasure because he wants the ultimate bragging rights of finding the greatest treasure that was ever ever hidden in the history of the world right i i mean i guess it's just not a particularly like and then what i mean so let him have that let him have the bragging rights what does it cost us It costs us the Declaration of Independence, right? But he was willing to give it back. I mean, this is, I I just, I just felt like, yes, he's a villain. If he had said that he was going to trash the document. Sure. That it didn't really mean anything to him. If his understanding of what national treasure was, was it was something that was going to give him ownership of of North America. It was mm-hmm. a deed signed by the founding fathers that says, whosoever finds this contract owns, you know, the Capitol building. And mm-hmm. we're now a colony of whatever country, like, like, or, or something that there need to be stakes in if he finds it. Oh no. And the mm-hmm. answer is if he finds it, his life is going to be unchanged. He's going to brag a lot. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I can live with that. I don't know. I don't know. Riley Poole. The lights. Justin, or Justin Bartha. Oh, absolutely. When he says, I broke a shoelace this morning. <laughs> oh, he's so fun. You're like, what? He's the one real person in this whole movie. Uh, like the, when I say real person, I don't, I don't mean to say that the other actors aren't um, doing good jobs. Cause I do. I think there's a lot of good performances in this movie, but he's the grounded character. Who's like, yes. 
okay, I know everybody in the room is talking about stealing the Declaration of Independence, but that's not a thing that people can do, right? Right. And everybody else is on this other level, which is like, once you set your mind to it, you can do anything. And, and he's, he's like, like, really? Can you? Can let's you? Go to the, let's go to the Library of Congress. Right. Um, I think he serves as a way to keep this movie from getting too dark. Oh, yes. He pulls the release valve with comedy, right? To keep things, because otherwise, I, this thing, can you imagine if he wasn't there? This thing would be really, really, it would not be family friendly. It would be dark. Oh, I think it would be too dark and it wouldn't be fun. I mean, he's, he's fun. It's fun watching. It's fun to have that character who's constantly being undercut. It's fun to have the cat because, and here's the thing, because Ben is never scared or out of his element. Mm -hmm. Riley gets to do all of that work. Yeah. Riley gets to be the one who's scared. Riley gets to be the one who goes, this is crazy. I can't believe we're doing it. And right. that's where the humor comes from. It comes from right. the person who recognizes he's in Wonderland and everybody else is just, no one else, he's in the dream and everybody else thinks it's real. Like he has mm -hmm. ways of doing that. But then all of a sudden Riley is outsmarted. You know, or he he's running cable or he's looking at cameras, which are kind of fun. Um, and he's also this movie has no cell phones in it, which changes everything. Right. This is a constant problem in every movie script development is. But what if mm -hmm. that character just called that character on the cell phone? Right. Right. Hard, right. Hard to do the I'm going to run to the airport to stop you from boarding the plane when I could just text you and be like, hey, I love you. Don't get on the plane. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're still we're still working on go rounds for that. Sure. Right, right. So that that is something that I've, a younger viewer watching it today, they might have that question, like, why don't why don't they just use cell phones? Um, right. So because they didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Abigail Chase, Diane Kruger. Um, I would have liked this movie a lot more if they hadn't fallen in love. Uh, I mean, Andy, are you, I'm, I'm surprised at this anti-love uh, emotion. No, coming from I, you. I just. I just think it kind of Why do you hate it. so much, Andy? Why? I'm such a hater. No, in, in a lot of ways, Abigail really functions as a protagonist, right? She's the one who moves from skeptic to true believer. We do see quite a bit of the movie from her perspective. She makes a lot of changes. Benjamin Franklin really doesn't. She would be a better protagonist for this movie. Agree. If we watch the movie from her perspective, she's she's worked hard to become the director of the National Archives. And mm -hmm. our movie opens with this seemingly crazy Nick Cage going in here going like, the Declaration of Independence is going to be stolen. And we watch the whole movie from her perspective. And we watch her transform from academic scholar to action hero. Mm. that's a better movie. Yeah. It's, yeah, it just is. I mean, and I'm then her payoff there. and then her payoff would be finding the treasure. She's always longed for. Right. And the and other she, thing and would she be, is that we know she's a treasure hunter. We learned that when she's, she's uh, collecting the campaign buttons for George Washington. Right. Right. So we know she's a treasure hunter and this would be the ultimate treasure for her to find. Well, so. the, or the idea that what I thought I wanted was a life, behind a desk and this movie you know the adventure that i've been on has made me realize no i'm an indiana jones style archaeologist and i yep. want a life of adventure 
That, yep. that's, that is exactly what a protagonist is supposed to do. And that and it really, che- and that's, and it cheapens it because it could have been that. And it cheapens it because it's like, now she's just his love interest. Now she, cause sometimes what you just need is a boyfriend, I guess. When you're the unbelievably hot director of the na- the the National Archives, it's so hard to find someone who'll notice you. So difficult. Oh, so 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 tricky. <laughs> it's so tricky. But but I really do think I really do think that's the problem with Nick Cage's character is he mm-hmm. never reevaluates his life or his purpose. And yeah. a movie is supposed to challenge that. Right. Uh, Patrick Henry Gates, played by John Voight. I hate dad in this movie. Uh-huh. Dad makes no sense. And here's oh? why. Oh, okay. no, it makes no sense. It okay. makes no sense. First of all, <laughs> first of all, it would make more sense if this opening monologue delivered by grandpa was actually dad delivering it. And then later on, when we see dad in the present day, dad no longer believes in the dream he told his son. Mm. Dad, Dad's had the dream shattered. We and so we can contrast how dad was in the past with how dad now dad is now. But dad in throughout this movie has been this bitter person saying, saying like, there's, there's no national treasure. I, I ruined my life. He's, he's such a downer to be around, but yeah, here's, like, here's it, it, the it might be other. interesting to see his dream deferred. Yeah. That might be interesting. We don't need grandpa for that. We just need dad for that. Oh, we always need Christopher Plummer. But go ahead. I like Christopher Plummer. Don't get me wrong. I'm just I'm just saying. But the but the other part of that is this. Okay, what if there is no national treasure? Finding the Charlotte is enough. Finding the hidden building, that the the hidden catacombs at the church in Wall Street is enough. That is our history. Every step mm-hmm. of the way on this treasure hunt, even if at the end of the day there's no gold, is leading us to these locations that we don't know about that any archaeologist could spend the rest of their life exploring and documenting. Mm-hmm. The Charlotte is a treasure. You found yes. it. It was lost. Right? It's like it's like so the journey is worth going on because what you find along the way is right. of historical of historical value. It just is. They found treasure every step of the way. And so right. the dad's like, stop looking. I hope, I hope this I hope this treasure hunt goes forever. Because right. I'm finding secrets everywhere. That's the that's the best. You win. You win. Yeah. That you're always unlocking a new level, right? You're always right. coming to a new understanding or understanding something differently. And because dad is is more interested in the the physical treasure, he's not as interested in the quest. And the quest is what turns him off, I think, and, and makes him this this jaded person. Also, there is zero chance there is no treasure at the end of this. And oh, here's yeah. why. Dad's theory is they were just trying to make the British waste a lot of time looking for the treasure. Mm-hmm. Then why make the clues so hard? If they can't solve the clues, they have to right. give up. So that clearly is not the intent with this thing that's so hard to solve, because because you don't want to stump them. You want to be like the Riddler in ba- in like nineteen sixty seven Batman series with Adam West going what What's got four wheels and flies? And someone goes right. It's it's a garbage truck. We got to go to the garbage. You want right. you want to be 
luring them along the way, not making it hard to find. So dad is a terrible history professor um, and not good at his job. And that's what I have to say. And a, and a bummer to be around. And they give him an arc, yeah. but they don't give his son an arc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, FBI Special Agent Peter Sadusky, played by Harvey Keitel. He's, he has a very similar function in this movie to the role that he plays in Thelma and Louise, I think. Okay. Um, I, every time he was in, he's a Harvey Keitel, fine performer. Mm-hmm. Did not feel like an actual factor in the, in the out, in the, how this movie played out. Oh, but he was on the hunt. He was, he was, he was chasing yeah. them, right? Yeah. Right. He's on, he's on the hunt, but, but you he's know. He's seeking the truth. He's trying to figure out what's really going on. But you know he's not going to be in the climax of the movie. And that, that like, it's not about him. No. Really. Well. So, so, so when we actually get to the church, he's not actually, he's not actually there. And, but, and he but, feel, I feel like he should be more important to this movie if he immediately cottons to the idea that Ben Franklin probably isn't as bad as the other guys who, who stole the Declaration mm-hmm. of Independence. And he, when he has that conversation with Ben Franklin in the middle of the movie, it undercuts the stakes because he says something along the lines of, look, you can help us get it back and you probably will feel better about yourself. But, but, there's, but there's no, like, the name is essentially cleared at that point. But things have changed. Now they're looking for treasure at that point. I, I... I think you have to have in this unambiguous good guy in these movies for children. And I think Harvey Keitel is the unambiguous good guy. But like Commodore Norrington in Pirates of the, of the Caribbean, uh-huh. he's the character I forget about for long periods of time. And I only oh. remember him when he shows up on screen again. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think that's probably by design, mm-hmm. but I think that's that's what uh, folks he's are less thinking. a character than a plot function. Yeah. What What do you think makes for a good heist movie? Whoa! Great question. Great question. Now, of course, I'm going to have a skewed answer to this because I believe the greatest heist movie of all time is The Great Muppet Caper where they're stealing the, the, the baseball diamond from the Mallory Gallery. Fabulous baseball diamond yes. from the Mallory Gallery. But right. what's, what's really important in a heist movie, I think, is two things. And the first thing is the stakes need to be real. Mm-hmm. They need to be life and death. Um, you know, like, it needs to be important. Miss Piggy is in jail. We got to get her out. And the only way to do it is to stop this heist. We got to keep the, we got to keep the, you know, the baseball diamond. I will stop using the Muppets for this, but but you know, like the st- there needs to be some emotional investment in this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't know that our characters in this movie have it. The other thing I want with a heist movie is I think the plan never, ha- and this movie does that. The plan never goes according to plan. Right. Right. Yes. Something right. has to go wrong. The first. The first part of the attack, like you have a plan, and then there's the fun part where you have to compensate on the fly for the thing you didn't factor into your scheme, and right. everything might go wrong. And that good, is 
super fun. Yeah, there's a good friend of mine that always says that a good heist movie like zigs where it should zag, right? And and the with the new obstacles constantly introduced, like I mm-hmm. said, riddles and gunpowder and uh, just all kind a, a new riddle and something different. And oh, the, now the cameras are off, right? It didn't go according to plan. I think that's what keeps me watching this movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that happens. The oh no, the- oh my god moment. The oh my goodness, what, what are they going to do now? Right. I do feel we're cheated a little bit. Because there's a heist to steal the Declaration of Independence that we get to follow every detail of. That's Ben's plan. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we get every detail of Ian's, of, plan. of Ian's plan. And he should have to work as hard as Ben does to get in there. How does he get in there? And is there, like, like you could have that moment. Right. Where did they come up with the exact same plan at the exact same time? Right, like that's fair. Like that's how fair. Do the two there, plans a race mess against, with each other? Sometimes there's a race against the clock, right? right. Who's going to get there first, right? And I, I don't think we ever get that in this movie. He just, he's there, and then all of a sudden there's Ian. Like, well, how did yeah, that it's very happen? Much he's like, right? Oh, I just that's took a, the secret elevator. You did all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Emergency exit. Got me it's down a little here. Bit of a cheat. Although they do tase the guy, they use his fingerprints. I mean, we do see some of that um, just, back and forth, but you want more. Well, the fun in having two people doing a heist at the same time is each of them compensating for the other person's heist. Like, right. like if they were doing it on different nights, their plans would go according to plan. But because the, there's this other heist that's happening at the same time, they have to count. They have to count. You counterbalance whole, each other. You know, do the whole movie. It almost feels to me like the climax should be about the Declaration of Independence in the National Archives, and we don't need this extra beat of finding the treasure. It's just the race to the Declaration of Independence is enough for me. That's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, given this franchise, what would we do with this material? In our pitch time here. Pitch time. Okay. I'm going to tell you that like like I sometimes do, I'm going to improv jazz here because I did not spend any time coming up with a pitch. Fair enough. But I'll, I'll, I'll just go. So what okay. I'm going to tell you is what I think I want for, for a heist movie is not this, not this um, national, national treasure sort, sort of thing. I want to do a time travel movie where George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Paul Revere come into the modern day and, uh, Sort of, and they're looking for this item that can send them back home. But we've got these American revolutionary hero time travelers walking through the modern 21st century. Uh, and we can still get the heist, but each of them has their own particular powers. <laughs> like, like they're like, how do we get past this lock? And Ben Franklin's like, well, I brought my potbelly stove, which, if heated to this degree, will explode. And and like that's and hilarious. Paul Revere, like looks up and, he, and he's like constantly counting lanterns. He's like, that's amazing. There's not enough lanterns here. We're in trouble. And George I Washington, it. I something with the wooden teeth, I guess. Like, who could possibly bite through this? And George Washington's like, I got my chompers. And and that is what I want. I want I want the three of them going on the treasure hunt. From C to Shining Sea. That's that's pretty that good. That was jazz, and that's why that's terrible, folks. But 
<laughs> well, but, uh, I I would I would also do a heist movie. I think, um, I think I don't know what the content would be of the heist, but I think kids on a heist is far more interesting than watching adults on a heist um, mm. for for young kids. Um, uh, Valerie, my daughter, she talked about The Incredibles. Uh, she talked about um, we were we were kind of kicking this around and we were thinking, like, what are the movies that The Goonies was another? Uh, we have to have some kind of treasure finding thing with young people in it. So we thought, what if what if Bluey, an episode of Bluey <laughs> involved some sort of a heist? That was our our thinking. Okay, so. I like that. I'm going to say <laughs> okay. your pitch inspired uh-huh. me to a much better pitch than my terrible pitch. And this Excellent. is a movie that you and I would write together. We'll use okay. your idea of kids doing a heist. Okay. But here's the thing, Andy. The heist takes place in Disney World. Oh, yes. We need to find <laughs> in Disney National World. National treasure in Disney World. Yes! Yes! Oh my gosh. But, you know what? You said it in Epcot. International treasure. <laughs> Excellent. We have to find Walt's gold. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, that's amazing. <gasps> and Andy, wherever he's doing the magic fingers pointing, that the the, the, mm-hmm. the, the Walt, mm-hmm. that's a clue. He's a telling clue. us where to go. He's, he's telling, telling us where, where to go. The, where the treasure I love is. it. I love it. We should write well, that. Well, we should totally write that. We should pitch that anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah, we yeah. Just, maybe we just did. <laughs> so. Maybe we just did. <laughs> well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? If you give us a five-star rating review, we would be so pleased. And please check out our website, Once Upon a Disney Podcast dot com for more great episodes you can check out our once upon a disney facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a disney podcast at gmail.com and some of you are doing that we really appreciate it so until next time see you real soon see you real soon <laughs>